I think it's really important that we remember uh, the truth here, that nobody, unless they physically uh, are saltless, and a virus can do that, um, outside of that dynamic, we create our own pain and misery. We choose to think either positively or negatively. We invest faith in those thoughts that then creates a belief system. And then because of the perspective we take on that belief system, we obscure any other alternatives to that belief system through denial and judgment, justification, and uh, we cause a harm to ourselves. It's really, really important to be aware of that and to know that. Welcome to the Alcohol Addiction Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I'm not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I'm someone that doesn't drink alcohol. I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same like right now. I thought that it would be prudent of me to do a little monologue. Hopefully, you know, a lot a lot more people will be listening to this because we've got a lot more time on our hands. We're, we're currently experiencing, for most of us, the most trying time in our life and the most fearful time and the most unknown a time in our life. Those of us who remember going through 2008 and fearing losing our jobs and what that would mean to our lives and would be, you know, familiar with these types of feelings. Or if you're like me, you're probably, well, you know, like what's that like 12 years ago or something, probably forgotten what that felt like. I mean, I know I was terrified at the time of the change, particularly the prospect of losing my job. Like I think the way that societal conditioning works and, and culture, you know, for me, like earning the money is like, like part of being a man. Or certainly that's what I was uh, raised to believe when I was younger. Not now, but that's what I was raised to believe when I was younger. So in around 2008, where I think I'm going to lose my job and I'm not quite sure I'm going to manage financially, like that, that's like a, a major, major, major concern for me. And this time around, similar thing kind of happened. So I thought that I would tell you about my current situation, now I've been handling it. And then I'm going to go on and talk about, you know, what's happening with Strive and what I think, what I've seen out there in the world uh, as, as a result of COVID-19 when it comes to alcohol. And uh, just telling you what Strive are going to be doing about that 1,000 Days Sober is going to be doing about that. So first of all, as soon as, uh, as, soon as this happened, my first concern was, where should I be? You know, I, I have a 19-year-old son, Jude, in the UK. I'm currently in California with my wife, Liza, and my three-year-old daughter, Zia. And we were actually due to fly to the UK to stay there for six months in February, but I had to cancel our flight because Zia was ill. And then we rescheduled to the end of March, but then it got canceled because of coronavirus. So that, that, that was a, a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety for me at that time. Because I, you know, I've got two kids in two different continents, haven't I? And coming to the the truth, you know, you know, thinking about this uh, and, and with people and, and introspection, you know, you have I have to be there for my three year old and and hope that my nineteen year old can take care of himself. And the, I had a problem with that, you know. It's like it's a real tough one to take because you feel like you're being a terrible father as a result of that. And if you're not careful, you can start spiraling down down to the basement, you know, by, you know, going back into the past and, and continually double questioning and triple questioning 
the decisions you've made, you know, post-divorce and how that kind of led to me and him being separated and that kind of thing. Fortunately, because I don't drink alcohol anymore, I'm super mindful about the way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm feeling. So I'm able to nip those thoughts in a bud. But that was my first worry, my my first concern, you know, it's like, where should I be? But once that decision was taken away from me, it was just kind of like, okay, so I'll speak to my boy every day and I'm just stuck here. My visa, you know, I'd be, I would have been in the States six months on May 19th, but, you know, there's nothing I could do about it. And I'm sure border control aren't going to throw me in a cell if uh, this thing goes on longer than anticipated. And I think it will. And I've been in a country for too long. But so there was that. You know, I was worried about where I should be. Um, and then my primary worry, my primary worry, was actually not uh, contracting coronavirus. My first worry was around money. It was like, okay, so 75% of my income comes through uh, one client who I freelance for that works, uh, that runs an, a live poker tour. And that poker tour is not going to run. And it's likely, it, you know, it won't run this this year if uh, things don't get right. So, you know, what happens if I lose 75% of my income? I certainly wouldn't be able to fly to the UK. I wouldn't be able to afford it. I I wouldn't be able to feed my family. I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. It, it, it was a, a nightmare that, you know, really bothered me for a long while uh, until my uh, the guy that I work for said to me, Look, don't worry, we'll get through this together. And that security blanket allowed me to not worry about it as much. But the way that I built anyway, I wouldn't have worried about it to the point that I would have made myself unhealthy. I would have had that nagging worry and stress, which would have emitted itself in, in other areas of my life, which I'll talk about in a bit. But I wouldn't have fallen apart as a result of it. You know, I, I have the the strength, I guess, to, to kind of deal with these things. And then had I lost that money, it would have been like all hands to the pump. I need to do everything I can in my power to make some money online somehow. And I would have just, I think if that would have happened, I, I would have been really excited about taking up the challenge whilst at the same time being really worried, you know? Um, so there was the money aspect of it. And and then um, what started happening then is household conflicts because, you know, I'm here with uh, two people in their seventies, my in-laws, you know, the my father-in-law had to stop working. So he's been, um, in the house for, and now he's the guy who works like 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And now suddenly he's in the house, twiddling his thumbs, can't make any income. Uh, his wife's here. She hardly ever sees him when he's working. Now he's here all the time. She's here all the time. I'm here all the time. Liza's here all the time. Zia's here all the time. Even through this podcast, you might hear Zia shouting downstairs like this. This is no way of getting around this, you know? And what I found is there's a lot of tension around the house. And there's a lot of tension and there's a lot of tension because suddenly you realize that your relationships that you believe are so dear to you, um, they're not really as strong as you think they are. Like you're not really together as much as you think you are. Like really, if your relationship's like really strong and you're stuck in the house together, then that would be a great thing, right? You get to spend more time with each other and you'd manage it. But I think the the amount of angst that shows up in your relationships because of this issue shows you how sturdy or how much work you've put into your relationships. And I think you can see where you take people for granted. The other thing that come up in, in this issue is time. I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, I need more time uh, to do more stuff, 
to make more money in order for me to be feel more secure. Uh, and then obviously if I take that time, we're not going to have a babysitter coming around the house. Can't always lean on my in-laws. So then Liza then has to take up some of that slack. And then that creates conflict because of course Liza's got her own coaching work as well. She's a, a Strive coach. She's a health and wellness coach. She started on Strive. So she's um, going through a nutritional uh, training course at the moment and she's working with some Strivers. So it, it, it's that conflict as well that is really, really um, difficult, I think, in this environment. And then I, then I went through a little period of like waking up a little bit. You know, I, I, I realized that uh, how little I, I was in control of my life. Uh, and as a red uh, personality type, anyone who does the color code personality testing, you'll you know what, what, what I'm like. Um, you know, I like to be in control of things. So realizing how little I have in control of my life is a bit of a wake-up call. And I've looked at it as a fresh start, actually. So I'm going to be able to look at it uh, from a financial aspect very differently, um, to reevaluate my financial goals, to reevaluate my f- uh, put a uh, financial uh, stability and sensibility towards the top of my values. Uh, need to look after myself and uh, safeguard for the future. So write a will, understand what I'm going to leave people and how we're going to we're going to divvy that up if I'm not around. What happens to Strive and the Alcondition Podcast if I'm not around, for example? Uh, so I've had to think about those kind of things. And I've also had a couple of sessions dealing with my anger. So like I said earlier on, although I'm strong and I kind of deal with uh, worries and concerns, it does kind of leak out. In frust- well, I'll get frustrated very quickly and then I'll get angry and then I'll uh, say things that I regret afterwards and stuff. So I've been doing some work with uh, Vinnie Grant, our Strive coach, and also Elliot Rowe, who's a mindset coach for uh, top professional poker players. I had a session with him this week on anger and i got to say, I feel like amazing. Like uh, the way that I be with my daughter is how I want to be a father and um, I'm feeling really super confident that I'm going to nail this. You know, and not as people listening to this who go through like drinking, not drinking, drinking, not drinking. How many times have you said to yourself, I've nailed this, I'm never going to drink again, and then you do. So I'm a little bit wary of saying I'm never going to, obviously I'm going to get angry again, but I, but I really feel like I've got control of this. I realized while I was being hypnotized, it was a hypnotherapy session. I realized actually that I have more control over my emotions and my behavior than I've actually been giving myself credit for. And I, and I think it's resistance talking when I say, oh, um, this is me. This is who I am. I'm trying to uh, change uh, 45 years of programming to make me less angry. Give me a break. I think that's resistance and excuse making. Now, um, I realized that while I was uh, being hypnotized, that I could feel that the rah rah, the pom poms going, and I, I really got on my own side and was like, Lee, Lee, you can do this. You know, you could be a really loving, beautiful human being. And, and the fact of the matter is, is if I can flip that switch, and I, and I think that I can. And I can generate that energy and be that person. What a wonderful lift that will have to the rest of this household. You know, I don't, I don't need anybody else to change. If I can be a beautiful, loving, connecting, amazing, serving human being, the, the kind of guy I want to be, uh, that will those uh, that energy will reverberate around the house. So really important, kind of doing that work on myself. Okay, so yeah, I am obviously uh, not going out. Uh, we're, we're, we're limiting the shopping now to once every two weeks and we go out with our gloves and our masks. We don't let our in-laws go anywhere. We do everything for them. So we're just battening down the hatches, working really hard, but I'm 
still really uh, cautious and, and worried and concerned about what will happen long term, especially with uh, money and stuff and, uh, and people uh, being desperate because they haven't got any money, particularly so in America, actually, than I would in the UK, only because everybody here has got a gun. So, um, you know, that worries me a little bit. But the important thing is for me, like I always talk about this on 1000 Days Sober, you know, it's uh, the difference between being aware of something and being interested in it. And this is something that I picked up from Michael Beckwith uh, when I went to Agape Spiritual Church, where it used to be in Culver City. It's now in uh, West Hollywood, I think. And um, we still go there. Well, we don't go there anymore. But, you know, we, we used to go there just before um, uh, the pandemic broke. And, uh, you know, Michael Beckwith always says that it's important to have a great awareness about what's going on in the world. You know, the other day I was slamming my boy, you know, because he – came in contact with somebody whose mother had coronavirus. So he said, hey, dad, you know, my, my mate's mom's got coronavirus. I was like, oh, wow, when was the last time you saw your mate? Oh, two days ago. Like two days ago? And he's like, yeah, it's not a problem. She only got diagnosed today. No, no, no. Like she could have had symptoms for like three to four weeks. So it's important to be aware of things. So it's important to be aware of uh, the pandemic, the spread, um, how it's spreading, what you can do to uh, mitigate uh, catching it, what to do if you do catch it, have a risk assessment plan, all that kind of stuff. It's important to be aware of that kind of stuff. But you don't have to be interested in it. You don't have to be sitting in front of the TV screen for 12 hours a day watching nothing but coronavirus, right? You don't, you don't have to be doing that. You don't have to be reading report after report of numbers of deaths. You don't have to be keeping a death toll. Actually, all these things I'm telling you, you don't have to do. My father-in-law is doing a lot of that, right? Um, and I'm actually finding it really distracting and annoying to have a TV on it because we don't have a TV on normally because obviously my dad's not here 12 to 14 hours a day um, because I find that the TV is one of the, one of the worst places uh, to uh, show interest, to put interest in. I'm not talking about watching Netflix and, uh, and the Disney Channel, whatever you do, like to watch shows. I'm talking about the habit, and this is a habit that I had in the UK, uh, and a lot of people in the UK have from what I gather in my life, was you wake up in the morning, you come downstairs, you turn the TV on, and you don't turn it off until you go to bed. Even if you're having a conversation with someone, the TV's on in the background. And subconsciously, that, that is like a terrible thing, especially right now when it's like, dung, 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 pandemic death, pandemic death, right? So... For me right now, I'm aware of what's going on in the world. I'm aware of the seriousness of it. However, I'm also aware that the, unless I catch it, that every feeling that I have right now is made by my thoughts on that subject and not by COVID-19. Okay. So if I catch COVID, if I catch COVID-19, then yes, right. I'm physically, physically going to feel X, Y, Z, but right now, all the stress and anxiety that I feel, I'm creating myself because I'm paying too much attention and awareness, uh, too much attention and interest in COVID-19. So I know it's going on. I just, I just let it go. And through my dad, through hearing the telly in the background, uh, through my wife, uh, through people who randomly send me messages, through the times I'm on the toilet and I swipe left on my phone and there's, a, there's a, uh, an article on there that I might read. I'll pick up on what's going on, but I don't need to consume myself with it. I don't need for that to happen because if it does, I will weaken my immune system. And if I weaken my immune system, um, I'm going to uh, be at risk of 
not catching COVID-19, but, you know, suffering from it in, in a bad way, you know. So that's where I am at the moment. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about um, what I'm experiencing as a result of COVID-19 when it comes to alcohol. Okay. So obviously, I uh, have gone like over 3,000 days without having a drink alcohol. So I never even think about drinking alcohol ever. So even, you know, even with the world uh, falling off the edge of a cliff, uh, it never, ever enters my head to have a drink of alcohol. But I, I know that's not the case out there. And, and what I'm seeing in my kind of inner circle, like, like stretchy outer circle, like that, you know, you know what I mean? Like talking to people and, um, you know, reading the odd article here and there and, and, and social media and that kind of thing. So I'm finding two things that are going on. Uh, one is people are drinking uh, lots of alcohol because they're catastrophizing and people are drinking alcohol because they're celebrating. Uh, that sounds odd, but bear with me, right? So first of all, the, the catastrophizing, okay? So it was Striver Stella that made a really important point the other day that she was in the supermarket and she was limited to buying like one box of granola and one, bo one bottle of milk. Yet the person next to her had a shopping trolley full of alcohol, you know? It's like people, it's just two, there's two reasons that people are, are, are catastrophizing here. One, there are people, and we have them on Strive, who are oscillating between day zero and day seven, alcohol-free days, and they are really struggling with it. They find that alcohol provides them with incredible value. And in moments like this, where everything that they know about life is just now wobbling. And, you know, it's like everything you know about life is like, is a plate spinning with another like hundred plates and they're smashing all around them. Then those people are obviously in a state of catastrophe. They're catastrophizing their, their, their mental projections and the stories that they're telling themselves are all catastrophic. They're all very self damaging uh, and it's all about, I cannot cope uh, in this world uh, unless I drink alcohol. So, like, I need to drink alcohol because I'm catastrophizing about what's going to happen in the world. So I'm worried that we will all lose our job uh, in the house and we won't be able to feed, feed our kids. I'm worried that we won't be able to pay the mortgage. Uh, I'm worried that I might catch it and I will die. I worry that my mom will die. I worry that my daughter will die, right? Um, so there's all that worry and the way that people have been dealing with worrying in the past has been to drink alcohol. So now, you know, now like worry is like exacerbated times 50, then obviously you're going to drink alcohol if you still think that alcohol has that value. And it doesn't, it's not going to help for someone like me to come along and go, actually, it's not providing you with any value. It's not providing me with any value. It's just making your situation worse. It's deteriorating your health. Uh, for a variety of different reasons, not just that alcohol is a poison, but because of the whole stress and anxiety and all that that comes comes with it. Because you're not you're not stressing uh, that you need a drink of alcohol. You're stressing that you might not have any alcohol left to drink. And that's like that's the real true cause of it, right? So there's no good in being rational and logical to people like that. And if you're someone listening to this who's like that right now, who's drinking because you can't handle what's going on in the world, you know, well, you do what you think is best for you right now. You know, you do what best is best for you. But at the same time, get onto a place like Strive and ask questions and share how you're feeling. So at least you don't feel alone. 
And if you want to, like, you know, like some people will be drinking right now uh, who want to stop drinking, who want to join 1000 Days Sober. You know, they want to be 1000 Days Sober. But right now they're happy to drink because the world is in such a shit state. It's the only way they can deal with it, right? There'll be be those people. Um, And there'll be other people then who are drinking, but they don't want to drink. They really don't want to drink, but they can't stop drinking. So, you know, in in the the first example where people... You know, they want to drink because they're thinking it's helping them. Then, you know, you might not want anyone on Strive telling you, you know, you're pointing out your blind spots and telling you what you could do differently. But if you really, really want to stop drinking alcohol, but you're drinking too much now because of COVID-19 worries, then you really need to be reaching out and asking for help and feedback um, from people who, you know, know what they're doing uh, and, and have been in the same situation as you and uh, have got through it. So, you know, that is really important. And then there's the other people who are catastrophizing because they're worried that they're going to run out of alcohol. They, you know, they're worried they're going to run out of alcohol. And, and, and the thing is, unless you're somebody who medically, if you stop drinking alcohol, you could die. And I, you know, the people who, who I come into contact on Strive and the people I, who email me and we exchange conversations as a result of listening to this podcast – I don't think I've ever, ever come across anybody who, if they stopped drinking alcohol, they would die, you know? So that that's like really, I don't even think that's part of our audience. Um, but if it is, you know, the caveat is always like, I'm no expert, you know, you, you need to seek out help from your doctor. Problem being right now, you shouldn't really bother your doctors because they're too busy dealing with COVID-19, uh, which is a, which is a reason not to drink alcohol. Um, but you know, that those people aside, those few people aside, you know, it, the simple fact is this, Holland, the Netherlands, they've just banned alcohol sales, right? And the reason they've banned alcohol sales is because since the COVID-19 has spread and has become pandemic, uh, people have started to drink more alcohol. So that means that the healthcare system is facing more pressure from people who are turning up drunk, turning up with alcoholic poisoning, turning up with cuts and bruises and God knows what because they've got pissed and fallen off the friends' heads or whatever. So the Dutch have just said, oh, fuck, we've had enough of this. We're just going to ban alcohol, right? Uh, And I think that's a really, really sensible idea right now, actually. Um, Now, imagine if they did that in the UK or America or New Zealand or Australia or Canada, which is where most of our audience is from. What would happen? So if you're drinking alcohol right now and you live in the UK and you're drinking because you're catastrophizing and you're really panicking, you're worried and you don't think you can get through life without alcohol, what would happen if the UK banned the sale of alcohol right now? They banned it and you couldn't get your, your, your supply runs out by end of week. What would happen? I tell you what would happen. You would feel really shit. You'd feel really shit and really stressed and really anxious. And then you get through it. COVID-19 may kill you, but being stressed and anxious about not having your alcohol isn't going to kill you, right? And that is, I'm saying, that's not the people who will die if they, if they uh, develop the DTs because they're, they, you know, they're, uh, their addiction to alcohol is so terrible that if they would stop, they would die, right? That, that's our caveat, right? But in general, people listen to this, if they, stop, if they couldn't get their hands on alcohol right now, you know, so think about it, right? Like, imagine I'm that person. I'm really super stressed. I'm really super stressed. My, I have these thoughts in my head. They won't stop talking about the fact I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to, I'm going to die. My family's going to die. My daughter's going to die. My, um, 
my mother and father are going to die. Uh, the world's going to end. I'm really, really upset. I'm really catastrophizing. And I'm saying to myself, the only way that I can stop this from happening now is I have a drink. The only way I can stop it is having a drink, but I don't have any drink. So now I'm even more panicking. I'm even more anxious. I'm even more stressed because I'm worried that I don't have my drug, right? Okay. And if, if I didn't take this drug, I wouldn't have this additional stress, but I do have it. So I'm worrying, I'm worrying, I'm worrying, um, but it's not there. Like I can't have it. All right. And it's like six o'clock in the afternoon. And I don't go to bed until midnight. So what am I going to do? Is this are these voices just going to go on and on and on and on and on until I go to bed? Like, is this is what's going to happen for the next like four or five hours? No. What will happen is you'll feel shit. You'll feel shit. You'll be a little bit angsty. You might shout at the kids. You might shout at your wife. You might shout at your husband. You might be a little bit annoyed. You might go for a walk around the block. You might bite your nails. You might pick your nose, you, you might eat too much sugar if you're able to get some from the from the groceries, whatever it is, but you're not going to die. And, and and what you'll find is you you do have the strength, you do have the ability, and you do have the fortitude to get through it. It's just right now, you don't want to go through that struggle. You don't want to experience that struggle. And one of the things that we're going to be coaching more on in 1000 Days Sober is this word grit that comes from Angela Duckworth's uh, great book, Grit, um, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. If you want to be someone that doesn't drink alcohol for 1,000 days, you're going to have to develop grit. It's the gritty people who get to the end. It's the gritty people who say to themselves, I'm not going to drink alcohol, even if it means I have to feel really, really shit in the short term in order for me to get that long-term gain. We have to develop that grit, okay? So just throw that in there. Read that book. It's really great. Grit. Um, or don't read it if you've got a big, massive reading list, like Striver Sue told me this week, because we're going to be creating a module on it in the research phase of the 1000 Days Sober Experience, right? So there you are. There are those people who are catastrophizing. They're stockpiling alcohol. They're worried that um, they're even risking infection by going out to get alcohol. They are weakening their immune system by drinking the bloody stuff. And they're also... They're panicking and they're worrying, they're anxious that they're going to run out, okay? Um, and it's actually, it's a reminder to anybody who's on this alcohol-free journey who thinks they've nailed it or they think, you know, they think they've gone around the corner, okay? And right now they're really, really struggling and resistance has got all of them and they're thinking about drinking or they are drinking. It's an absolute classic reminder of why 1000 Days Sober exists and why I created it. Because when you decide that you want to overcome an addiction as complicated as alcoholism, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't. And that is why we have the six stages of change, right? This is why we have the strive model for change. Um, because, you know, you are stuck, you don't know what to do, then you're thinking about drinking, uh, stopping drinking, then you do the research, then you take the initiative and take action. And then there's a massive long period of what we call vigilance, where you're maintaining that sobriety, where you continue to do the work. And it's at times like now, when you're really getting triggered to drink alcohol for out of nowhere, after going 60, 70, 100 days or whatever, that you realize, well, I, I think I might have stopped doing the work here. I, I think I don't really, I didn't realize how strong resistance was. So it's a bit of a wake-up call for all of us, you know. Uh, the other thing that's happening right now with COVID-19, the opposite to catastrophizing, I guess, is celebration. I know it sounds ridiculous because, like, everybody is worried and very fearful, but there's still that feel of the air of bank holiday about what's going on right now. And that will change over time 
when uh, days become weeks, become months, becomes half a year, and more and more and more, I read yesterday, like 6.6 million people in America signed on uh, for benefits or whatever. Like, as that, as that keeps going and the system starts to fall apart, I think we'll worry more and more. But right now, there's this air of celebration about. I was talking to a friend of mine called Neil the other day, and he was saying that like two or three weeks ago, he uh, went to Scotland on like a lad's uh, holiday or, you know, get together or whatever, and they get smashed. They get smashed every day while you're away. And he said since he's been back, he hasn't had a pint, but virtually everyone who went on a tour has been drinking every day, every day, right? Because in the UK right now, the sun is out, all right? The sun is out. Most people are at home, the sun is out, and they've got nothing to do because they can't work. So what they're doing, they're just getting smashed. And then this is why Holland has banned alcohol, because so many people are actually thinking that this is like a holiday. They're not drinking because they're worried. This is a group of drink. This is people drinking because they think they're on holiday. I had the same feeling when I were like back when I was a non-drinker right now. If I was at home, I would be drinking an incredible amount, particularly if it was sunny outside. It would be such a trigger for me. I'd have the music blasting out there. I'd turn my back garden into a mini festival, and I'd be getting smashed every day because I felt there was incredible value in that. Like I, I would not have even been thinking about compromising my immune system, about um, the fact that I think that I'm improving my social situation, but I'm actually like worsening. None of that. I just would have got smashed because people like us do things like this. And that's what I was like at the time. You know, I was a, I was a lush and that was it. So, you know, the sun is out, uh, the lark is in, everyone's stockpiled and, and they're all drinking and it could be smashed. And I'll tell you this story because I think it's really important, you know. Like my old man, my dad uh, and my mom, like, you know, what are they now? My dad's like 68, something like that. My mom is like 65, something like that. So for as long as I can remember, my mom and dad have never had alcohol in the house, all right? I've seen my mum drink in the house a few times, Christmas, uh, parties, that kind of thing, where my sister or someone else has bought alcohol around the house because we're having a party because it's Christmas or whatever, and my mum's drunk, drunk it. But my mum, as far as I'm, I'm aware, in my knowledge, has never gone to the shop and bought herself cans or spirits or bottles of wine and had it in the house. I've never seen her. She's never sat down in front of the telly and just had a glass of wine. Um, she's never done it. Uh, and, and even more extreme than that, my dad has never drank in the house. Now, th- this is a guy who, you know, for all his life since he was like 16, is, is you know, drinking's been a part of his like weekly life. You know, you'll, you'll go out in the week, like twice a week to a local con club and, and sit there and drink. And then on the weekends, he's either going to go out, depending on what sport's on. He'll, he'll go out on a Saturday or he might not, but he'll definitely go out on, on a Sunday. Uh, go out at 12 o'clock, come on, three, four, have his dinner, go to sleep, you know, like that's my dad's life. But, you know, right now he's drinking at home, you know, he's drinking at home and he's actually joined Facebook. Like, and if you knew my dad, you'd find out it was insane. So he's joined Facebook and him and my mom are having conversations on Facebook. My wife showed me the other day because I don't have Facebook. They're having conversations with each other on Facebook and they're sat in the garden with each other. <laughs> you know, um, it's quite funny. It's quite cute, you know, because my dad's gone on Facebook. But there's a picture of my dad sat there on a chair and uh, he's got his big beer gut and he's got his um, a bottle of Corona in his hand and all that kind of thing. And the message said uh, that he typed in said something like, 
I've got me Coronas. Uh, I'll get me Carlin in for our part. I'll get my uh, cider in for Sarah, who's my sister. And um, we'll, we'll put the music on. And um, who needs pubs? And I'm thinking to myself, well, I've never known you play music in your life. I've never, ever, ever heard you play music in your life. You, you don't own an album. You don't, I've never, it's never, he's never played music in his life. And now he's like, yeah, yeah, let's get the music on, man. And um, who needs pubs? Well, you do, Dad, don't you? Because you've never drunk at home before. And now there's no pub you're drinking at home. And if you've ever been with my dad, right, if you've ever been to the pub with my dad, which obviously I have, like when I was, um, when I turned 18, I used to go to the pub with my dad every week. Every Sunday, I would go to the pub with my dad. If you ever go to the pub with my dad, particularly when smoking was allowed in the pub, he wouldn't move from his seat unless he was going for a piss. He wouldn't play pool. He wouldn't play snooker. He might play some uh, dominoes if someone pushed him in front of him. But my dad would sit in a chair, smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol, and not talking to anyone. If someone said something, he might say, yeah, yeah, but he wouldn't talk to anyone. That is how introverted my dad is. Okay. And now, because he can't go to the pub, he's suddenly buying alcohol for the first time in 60 odd years, 70 years to, to drink in the house. Think about that, right? Think about that. Now, if I asked my dad, if I suggested to my dad that he had a problem with alcohol, my dad would tell me that he doesn't have a problem. Like, we have this bloke in Ogmore Vale called Archie, who is clearly a stereotypical alcoholic, like what we would quote unquote call an alcoholic. You know, somebody who stinks of piss, is a bit of a public nuisance, his entire face has changed, he's a really good looking guy, his entire face has changed, he's all fucked up now because, you know, because of his drinking. And uh, when people, when he comes near you, you, you get out of the way, right? You know, and people look at that and go, you're an alcoholic. But like people like my dad, who've been drinking consistently on a weekly basis, you know, for like, I don't know, 50 years, it's obvious that, you know, I don't use the term alcoholic because I say there's an alcohol spectrum, you know, with the, al- with the stereotypical alcoholic at one end and Auntie Sue, who has a, a sniff to report uh, every Christmas Eve at the other end of the spectrum. Well, my dad is right down towards the other end of the spectrum. There's no way you can't say that someone is not addicted to alcohol if they've been drinking it weekly for 50 years you've got to be addicted to alcohol but if i had said that to my dad he would say no i'm not addicted i can give it up whenever i want yet when the pubs close for the first time in his life he drinks alcohol when he's at home and it, it can't be that he's drinking it to improve his social situation and, he, and to, to bring him out and to make him feel more alive because if you ever was with my dad when he drinks he's so morose he's so internal he's so on his own that it is not a social act at all. Yeah, he might have people around him, but he's not even interacting with them. That's not socializing. That's sitting in a pub with people around you. That is not socializing. So he's not drinking alcohol to socialize, is he? He's drinking alcohol because he's addicted to it, because his mind and his brain is telling him you need a drink. He's addicted to it. And now he cannot go to the pub. He's saying, who needs pubs? He needs pubs because pubs serve alcohol. And now, because he can't go to the pub to get his alcohol, he goes to the supermarket and gets it and drinks it in the garden. And that is going to go on quite a lot. You're going to get people who have never drunk alcohol before at home are going to start drinking it. 
And because it's cheaper in a supermarket, because there's no stop tap, because there's no limit on the measurements you have, because you're going to be bored, because you're going to be worried, because you have nothing to do, you know who's going to suffer the most out of all this? The kids. The kids are going to suffer because the parents are just not going to be present. They're not going to be there. Child abuse will go up through the roof. People will be getting drunk and taking their stress and pressure out on their children. Uh, it's, going to be an, it's going to be a nightmare. And, and so I'm really grateful that Holland did what they did. And, you know, I really would like to see it rolled out throughout the country, throughout the world, you know, uh, and see, see how people react to it. You know, I, I see people now, like where I am in California, like the streets, <laughs> it's supposed to be social distancing, don't go out. The streets are packed. You know, there's, there's so many people out there with kids. One of the things that is happening on the other side of this with people who aren't at home drinking all the time is they are spending more time with the kids and they are going out and they are exercising more than they ever used to and they are stressing less about work or whatever. So there's a, there's a flip side to this thing as well. So I think it's really important that we remember uh, the truth here that nobody, unless they physically uh, are saltless and a virus can do that, um, outside of that dynamic, we create our own pain and misery. We choose to think either positively or negatively. We invest faith in those thoughts that then creates a belief system. And then because of the perspective we take on that belief system, we obscure any other alternatives to that belief system through denial and judgment, uh, justification, and uh, we cause that harm to ourselves. And it's really, really important to be aware of that and to know that. So what are we doing here at uh, 1000 Days Sober? Well, as you know, in the past, we closed the doors uh, to strive and we was going to only open them uh, four day, four times a year. We're going to run the 1000 Days Sober experience four, four times a year. So we're still going to do that. The next... Um, 1,000 Days Sober Experience is April 26. Now, what is that, by the way? So basically, you sign up and we help you to go 1,000 days without drinking alcohol. So we help you go 2.7 years without drinking. And we do that by taking you through six um, very structured phases, okay, called the Strive Model for Change. So everybody starts at the beginning in the stuck phase to learn and understand why people get stuck and why they can't stop drinking and why some people like my dad don't even think it's a problem. So we, we learn that in the stuck phase and that takes about two to three months to go through that phase. And then we go through the thought phase, if you're ready, that is, right? It's only if you're ready. Then we go through the thought stage where we start thinking about our, our ambivalence around alcohol. You know, do I want to moderate? Do I want to stop? Do I want to mindfully drink? What, what do I want to do here? Do I really want to go 1,000 days sober? So at the moment... We're not counting alcohol-free days. We're not asking you to even stop drinking alcohol, but we're, we're thinking about it. And then at the end of that stage, if you say, nah, I'm still not sure, you stay where you are. And we work with you in the stuck and the thought stages, right? But if you say, no, I want to go on. I do want to take on this challenge. I, I want to be alcohol-free for, for three years, essentially. Then you go into the research phase, and then we work with you on a couple of months developing uh, the research around alcohol and what you need uh, to get right uh, in preparation to be in someone who doesn't drink alcohol. 
that includes uh, conversations with your family members. Like I will have conversations with your family members to explain to them what you're doing and to to um, explain to them what support looks like to you. We'll be doing work on uh, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, like I said, in the research phase, figuring out toolkits for you, meditation, mindfulness, that kind of stuff, self-care. Um, and then we hit the initiative phase, which is the action phase, where we learn the truth about alcohol, why we drink and why we find it so difficult to stop. And then we move into the vigilance phase. This is the maintenance phase where you, you're, you know, alcohol is starting to get in the rearview mirror, but you really need to maintain. So this is where we're raising awareness of that truth about alcohol internally and externally, being a role model out there, and um, but also internally changing our belief systems. So we don't believe no more that alcohol is normal and pleasurable. We believe that alcohol is part of an invisible, violent, and dominant belief system called alcoholism. And if we can change that belief system by raising awareness through the vigilance phase, then we won't crave alcohol. And then after that, we go into the enlightenment phase. And the enlightenment phase is where we build our rockets and go to Mars, where we work together as a group on Strive, um, looking at your bucket list, looking at meaning and purpose, uh, what you know, setting some real good stretch goals to make sure that you're living a fulfilled life, all right? Covering all angles like finance, health, wellness, nutrition, uh, relationships, all that kind of stuff. So that's the, the program. And we work together for three years or three years plus on that. At the same time, you have obviously access to the Strive Community Forum. We've got some wonderful Strive coaches that you can work with who will help you with your trauma, uh, grief, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy experts, that kind of thing. We have ambassadors, uh, people who, like you, came to Strive as someone who you know, wasn't sure whether they should drink alcohol or not. They've gone through the system. They've come out the other end as people who don't drink and now they're giving back by helping other people, right? And we have group online workshops. We don't stop. We've always got stuff going here, right, at Stripe. Um, But what we are going to do immediately, immediately, so if you go to 1000daysober.com, you can sign up immediately, right? So after listening to this, if you want to sign up to Strive, then do that. Uh, Strive is going to be open 24-7. So you basically go to the website, you sign up, it's £40 a month, which, by the way, is not a cost, all right? So £40 a month is an investment. So if you think about it, like when I was drinking, I used to spend like uh, a good hundred pounds, maybe on a Saturday going out on a beer. So that's like one day I used to drink like several times a week, like most, well, bef- towards the end I was drinking daily. So we're, we're spending a lot of money on, on alcohol. Some people are spending like between 500 and a thousand pounds a month on alcohol. Uh, we're charging you 40 pounds a month. So we're actually saving you money. We're saving you hundreds of pounds, right? So it's 40 pounds a month to get Strive, uh, access to Strive Community Forum. Why is that really important? Well, we can't go out anymore. We can't go out and uh, we can't go to AA meetings outside. We can't meet up with groups. We can't uh, socialize like we used to. So, you know, the, the world is becoming digital right now. And more than ever, you need a support network that doesn't only talk about alcohol, but it covers everything, parenting, relationship, sex, finances, anything in life that is creating ripples that are leading to the tsunami of alcohol going pour down your neck. We discuss, we talk about, and we help you with, right? So having that support system right now is really super important, especially when uh, tensions are so high in so many households. And if 40 pounds a month is a problem for you, then just email me, email me at truthaboutalcohol at gmail.com or WhatsApp me plus four four seven seven nine five four four one three eight three. 
okay, WhatsApp me and say, Lee, I can't afford 40 pounds a month right now because of X, Y, and Z. So, but I still want the support and I'll make it happen for you. Okay. I promise you that. I don't want money to be a barrier here for you getting your help. Also, starting from Monday, we are going to be launching um, maybe two or three, I'm not quite sure yet, um, online meetups where everybody's involved. So we have an online meetup every Monday anyway just for strivers. I'm going to extend that to anybody, anybody who's on my email list, anybody listening to the podcast, anybody who's checking us out on Instagram, on, on YouTube, whatever. Everybody will be uh, allowed to join that so we can give you support. We're going to do that a couple of times a week and either myself or the coaches and or ambassadors will lead that. Okay. So again, if you want to know when we're going to run these things, please go to 1000daysober.com and sign up to our email list. So you'll be uh, made aware of those things. All right. We're also going to create a little COVID-19 help guide. So I've reached out to the strivers and, and said, Hey, look, what have you been struggling with? Uh, since COVID-19 and the lockdown and what, what how has your life improved and how has it worsened? We're going to put the, put all that together in a little help guide and then we'll slap that on 1000 Days Sober. And once you sign up and put your email address in, you get that guide uh, for free. We'll put that out there for you. I've um, also got a lot of ideas around um, extra training courses outside of the 1000 Days Sober experience uh, where we will be talking about conflict uh, we'll be talking about parenting. Um, we'll be talking about nutrition and health and raising your immunity, all that kind of stuff. And we'll be putting that up on the website. We'll be selling that as standalone projects. But if you're a member of Strive, you won't have to pay for those things. So so get cute, join Strive, and when those things hit the market, you won't have to pay for them. All designed to really help you uh, deal with this really unfamiliar situation right now. We're also pumping out content on YouTube. I'm doing little five-minute videos uh, that with the help from the Strive crew. So that's going out on YouTube. So please check out our YouTube channel, 1000 Days Sober. And uh, we're putting out at least three messages a day on Instagram. Uh, we don't waste space on Instagram. Everything we put out has value. Everything is geared up to and aligned with the Strive model for change and the 1000 Day Sober experience. So please join us at Instagram as well and YouTube, 1000 Day uh, Sober for both of those, Instagram and YouTube. And as usual, just before I sign off, if you could please uh, just rate and review this podcast uh, on your podcast provider, I'd be really appreciative. And uh, a lot of people are struggling right now. So please tell them about our podcast. I really appreciate that. And let me know who you are because uh, it's really, really difficult to, to know who's listening and whether I'm touching your life or not, how I can improve, what I can do for you if you have any questions. So email me at truthfilecall.gmail.com. Or send me an audio message on WhatsApp, plus four four seven seven nine five four four one three eight three. All right. But before I leave, if you could do one thing today, join Strive. Join Strive right now. Okay. We can help you. Don't, don't go through this uh, crisis alone. Don't let money be an issue. You can email me, like I said, or WhatsApp me. But join Strive today. All right. Thank you very much for listening.